Welcome to another episode of The Hiring Manager. Joining me, Eric Engelbert from Orange County Real Estate. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be on the podcast. I've listened to a few of them, so excited to be here and be a part of it. Obviously, The Hiring Manager helps high school Well, the student manager helps high school students and parents with the college search and admission process. But what we found was a lot of my guests were now juniors and seniors looking for internships, looking for their first job after graduation, and they didn't even know how to interview. They didn't know how to not only interview, find that right company to even start. Like, where am I going to get hired? What am I going to do? So being the president, founder of Orange County Real Estate, what do you look for when you're hiring somebody? Great question. I like to find someone who is an independent person and someone who's a problem solver. They could think on their feet. A lot of times that doesn't come through on a resume. So getting your foot in the door and getting that interview is really important. But I'm trying to figure out like how to maybe express that in a resume or in a cover letter. And one thing is, you know, just the fact that you're out there looking for a job, you know, that shows some independence. Right. You know, how did you find out about this company and how do you find out about this job being available? You know, that could that alone can show some independence. And you know that that person that's explained displaying that independence, just getting to look for that company. I mean, what are some areas and angles that they're trying to how do they go about doing that? You know what I'm saying? Because someone's like, how do they find that OC real estate, Orange County real estate group, right? Because you might see that independence, but what are they doing? What are some characteristics that you see that they're doing that they can actually display that independence when they're looking for that job? Yeah, well, the research is important too. I mean, they can display it just based on the information that they know about the company. So you have to do that research and find out about the company. And then if you go even further, find out about the person you're interviewing with or people who work at the company that are higher ups, right? That's usually information that can be discovered online. Right. And so then go ahead and look at their social media, look at their Facebook, become Facebook friends with them. And then you can find out about those people, you know, and like when you're interviewing with them, one of the first things I like to do is find common ground and you can use social media to help find you common ground. Now we get to the interview process. I'm actually meeting with Eric Engelbert, right? What are some of the top few questions that you ask a candidate? Well, I like to find common ground immediately in every situation that I'm in. And, but in these, you know, in these situations, I like to ask like where they see themselves in five years. It's kind of, you know, a typical question, but their answer kind of tells me like their commitment to their personal growth, their commitment to the organization, you know, are they patient person? Are they going to say that like, well, in a, in um, five years, I want to have made a million dollars and be driving a gold Lambo. Well, that's not the person for me because, you know, I might've thought that when I was younger too, but now I realize like you have to be patient and it's going to take a lot of time to build a career. It doesn't happen overnight or even in the first five years. Right. And, and so when they're giving you that answer for that five-year plan and you say you kind of listen to what they're saying, right, and, and how they respond, what can you tell someone that's, that's actually asked that question? I mean, you said what you're looking for, but kind of fine-tune that a little bit, right? So if you're my mentor and I said, Eric, what, what should I say? Like what would be the ideal? G- give, me, give me your five-year plan. 
How about that? Yeah. Well, when I was 21 years old, what I would love to hear, what I'd love to hear from another 21 year old is like, first of all, I recognize that I'm 21 years old and I don't have a lot of real life experience. So I'm going to be, you know, only 26 or 27 years old in five years. I want to enjoy the 20s by growing personally, growing as a person, learning, expanding my knowledge. You know, I'm going to do that through travel. I'm going to do that through hard work. I'm going to, you know, do that through reading and networking and re- and using my resources. Like that's a person who's a go-getter. You know, that's a person who's like, you know, they're they're grounded as well and they understand that, you know, they are so young. They don't know everything. Right. Right. And you know you you talked about some advice. You talked about like just doing the research. You talked about finding something common ground, right? Like looking back on it now, if you had to do it all over again, what would you do differently? I think uh, one of the things when I was younger, I wasn't afraid to go and talk to my boss or my manager or even, you know, my father for that matter and get good advice from them. What I didn't do well was execute that advice. That was really difficult for me. And I think you know, those are still challenging things. Like it's all important, but executing, you know, getting a good plan and getting a good idea is the first step, but executing it is just as important or even more important. So, you know, I think the advice would be like when you're getting advice and seeking advice, executing those things that make sense to you, you know, we're here on this podcast telling you a bunch of different things, but maybe one thing stands out or two things stand out, like try and actually execute those things. And, you know, we talked about this, focusing on the process and not really the result, expand on that, touch on that. If I'm listening, right, and I really, really want to work on the process because we talk about you're going to go on a lot of interviews and you're going to get rejected a lot, right? But what should they really be taking away? Because I just had this conversation with my daughter and, and I said, Jules, you're, you're going to go like on five interviews right now and you're probably going to get declined from three or four of them. Yeah, and if you're looking at the results only and thinking like thinking about those results only like the rejections are going to pile up. You get so many no's in life. And if you're only focusing on those results, then you're going to get frustrated and your re- and your personal results are not they're not going to be good. They're going to be affected by that. So I like to tell people to focus on the process. So you went to this interview, you researched that company, you researched that person, you nailed the questions, you asked him questions or her questions about the company, about their personal life. You created some common ground. You did everything right and you still did not get the job. You could be proud of the fact that you focused on the process there and you did everything right. Because eventually, you know, if you keep doing everything right, you are going to get a job. You know, you, you talked about asking questions, right? And this is part of like doing the research too and, and part of the process and whoever you're interviewing with. What's a question that has stood out or maybe you have a story to share that someone's interviewed with you and you said, hey, now it's time for you to ask me questions. Has there been any one candidate that just stood out in your mind that asked you a question that made you think and said, wow, that's a pretty good question. And I don't hear that often. I like that person. Well, I had a woman connect with me in a very like different way than what I'm used to. As a, She was a realtor. She'd worked for kind of a big firm in Orange County. And we met at a showing, you know, it was one of my listings and she came in to show a client and we just immediately hit it off. And um, it was a, just a weird connection. And at the end of like two hours or, you know, she called me back after two hours and she said, I want to come and work for you. And I said, 
you know, like this is right when I opened my company. I said, why do you want to come work for me? My company has only closed like two transactions this year. It seems weird. And she just said like, well, I just really connected with you. You seem to know what, what you're doing and your goals and stuff. And it's not that she had like a question, but she had a feeling, right. which, you know, that made me feel good. But I do have another story though, about one of my first interviews ever was with the company. I was 22 years old and it was a financial company. And I did some research on the company. I found an article, an old article, in, I think in the Orange County Register. And it was about a sales manager punching out another sales manager during a meeting. And I, I read the whole article. And the reason I found out about this company was somebody at my gym. So then I went to the gym. I talked to the guy about it. He told me, yeah, yeah, that was just a lot of passion in that room and and don't worry about that, but you should definitely go apply. So I go to the interview and I said, hey, I did some research about this company and I've talked to a couple of employees and I really want to work at a place where sometimes the passion bubbles over. You know, I tried to turn that negative thing into a positive. That's a, without specifically saying it, that he probably knew what you're talking about. I think he knew what I was talking about. And I think like I didn't get the job there, but I prepared for that by doing so much research. You know, I was unemployed at that time. So I made finding a job, my full-time job. And I spent a lot of time preparing for that interview. And I was upset that I didn't get it. But again, there I was 22 years old focusing on the results. But really, if I look back now, the process, I did such a good job. I nailed that interview. I nailed it. I know I did, but I didn't get it. And you know what? I try and teach that preparation and prepare for that interview. And usually, in, in people that I help out, students as well as my own daughters in the interviewing process, I try and put them in situations where that interview that I give to them, since I've interviewed a lot and hired a lot, much tougher than it's actually going to be. Would you recommend to students now, like, be over-prepared, right? Be over-prepared because even how you practice it in front of the mirror or with somebody else, because then when you go on that interview, you're going to say, that was easy, yeah, for sure. Like I'm not good at public speaking personally, but if I over prepare, that gives me confidence. Same with golf, you know, like golf, I have to practice a lot. I have to be over prepared to be successful. So I would definitely say over prepare. You know, one thing I think of like these days when you're getting an interview, the questions are, you know, they can't answer, they can't ask a lot of personal things because of the law. So it's on you to maybe answer in a personal way to let them know like really about you personally. I think just separating yourself and you're right, you got to express and take that time of like, for example, you talk about research, right? And hey, Eric, I was reading your annual report. I was on the website. I noticed that that kind of shows them. Definitely. That, you, that definitely shows. You took the initiative there. You're probably an independent person. That that really is important and will, you know, leave a mark with that with that person doing the interview. Interview's over. How many when's the last time you've gotten a handwritten thank you note? Oh, maybe from oh a handwritten thank you note. Just a handwritten note at all, maybe from my mom like a year ago. But you know, yeah, people don't do that anymore and it has it's really valuable. I personally do handwritten notes every year. I was just about to say, so do you actually write handwritten thank you notes to your prospects and clients? I do. I do. So I think, you know, networking's important. I like to say the money's in the follow-up. So follow-up, super important. Staying top of mind, super important. In my business, I mean, I've created 12,000 leads in the last two years. So there's no way I can do handwritten notes to all of them or even make phone calls to all of them. So I have to automate some of that stuff. But as a new person, you know, as a 
a college graduate trying to network with potential um, professionals and and job opportunities, you're not going to have that many. So 20 or 30, like you can follow up with that many Absolutely. people easily. That you, you could do that on a manual spreadsheet, Yeah. right? Did I send out my email number two? Did I follow up with them, right? Did I, did I mail something? I think what's important in that process is every time you make a contact with a person, find out how they like to communicate. Some people will communicate through email. Some people will be text. Some people will be LinkedIn. Some people will be Facebook Messenger. Mm -hmm. And make sure you make a note of that. And every time you follow up with that person, you use their preferred method. That's great piece of advice. I mean, actually, to me, I just am very consistent on how I follow up. But I like that advice because if someone wants to do text more so, maybe then email or maybe Facebook Messenger, which I don't use that much, but I do uh, Instagram DM, right? So there's different ways to communicate, especially in today's world, right? With the millennials and their snapping or Instagram and-, and TikTok, yeah. There's yeah. like seven or eight different ways to do it. I mean, back in the day, I used smoke signals, but we don't have that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of back in the day and what a transition, you went to the University of Indiana in Bloomington. Obviously, we're also trying to get high school students and parents to be aware of some of uh, these other higher educations as they, you know, pursue that in graduation from high school and on to that. So let's talk about Indiana for a little bit. I've been there. It's been a while, 1990 to be specific. That's when um, Coach Knight was there. We played in the Hoosier Classic in early December, and it was snow-covered fields. All I remember, because at the time, Hoosiers came out, which was still one of my favorite movies today, I saw like a basketball hoop in every backyard, which was like an acre, two acres, taking that bus ride from Indianapolis all the way to Bloomington. How did you get to Bloomington? Yes, it is like Hoosiers. (laughs) Um, Well, in my senior year of high school, I was in San Diego. And in December, I got accepted to San Diego State. And I was super stoked, you know, just the feeling of like being accepted somewhere. I was 17 years old. I went to college when I was 17, so super young. Didn't really have a lot of good advice or good people to kind of mentor me on that stuff. But I was working out at the San Diego State gym and the guy who was managing the gym and I, we, we kind of became friends and I got my acceptance letter and I said, hey man, I got accepted at, at uh, San Diego State. And he's like, what? I thought you were a freshman here. Don't go to school here. I'm a fifth year senior and I can't get the classes I need to graduate. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm not going to go here. That was simple. So then I was kind of scrambling at that point, right? By that point, most applications are in. And I I had a little bit of a connection with Indiana because my father got transferred to Indiana. And so it it was on my radar, but I hadn't applied there. So I immediately did an application and I ended up getting the last dorm room on campus. And ultimately, that's how I got there. What did you not like about Indiana? Being from California. Well, this weird thing happened to me the fir- my first year there, and it was like November of 1992, and after about 30 days of not seeing the sun, I was depressed, and I was like feeling weird, and I mean, depressed is probably too strong of a word, but I didn't really know what this feeling was or what was going on or anything. I ended up going to a tanning bed because that was popular back there in the winter in the 90s. Some young kids don't know what that means, especially California kids. A tanning bed is a place where you go to get a tan from light bulbs. Anyways, there was light therapy and that light therapy like increased and improved my mood. So vitamin E, vitamin D, (laughs) a D, D, vitamin D from the sun. So yeah, that was a weird thing, you know, not seeing the sun for that long, being in San Diego, like we got the sun, you know, 360 days out of the year. So that was a challenging 
thing, but I didn't I didn't know what it was. And it took me years to figure out why my mood was better, but it was because of the it was because of the tanning better. Game day experience. Do you still remember game days like tailgate for football or even basketball? So for basketball, we would go and get our student tickets. And one year, my first year there, I went with my best friend and um we uh got the student tickets and we like we picked them up at the stadium and the door was open. So we went in. <laughs> I went on the basketball court and we were goofing around just like, I mean, it was just awe-inspiring, right? You're right here, center court, right, right on the, you know, the, the state, state symbol, um, the shield. And um, it was just really cool. And we, you know, we didn't have a ball with us, but we pretended to shoot a couple of times. And then we went out into the hallway and Bobby Knight went right by us, you know, full coat, coat and stuff because winter time. And he was like, I don't know, I'm only 5'10 on a good day. And he's 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, and you know, just walked right down the middle of the hallway like we didn't even exist. We just had to kind of scoot out of his way. It was pretty surreal, really. Not even a, hey, what's up, coach? <laughs> it was surreal, you know, and I mean, none of the bad, really bad stuff have come out yet, you know, where he, you know, did some, some right. of his coaching thing. We won't talk about it. <laughs> some favorite memories, maybe like a bar or restaurant. They, they may not even be around now, but like if someone's like looking at Indiana, what, what, as an upperclassman, do you remember some of the, the top bars out there? Well, um, I remember Nick's being a top bar for some of the upperclassmen and the professionals and the graduate students, too. And so we were talking about networking earlier. Like if you're a, a senior at IU, it's always fun to go to where all the kids are and, you know, all the all those kind of bars. But you should branch out and go to Nick's and rub shoulders with, you know, people who have graduated, they're alumni who probably have jobs, especially on game day. There's tons of alumni around. Where do the alumni hang out? I know they go to Nick's before and after games. Um, there's probably some restaurants in town that have bars inside where you might be able to rub shoulders. Um, so I did like Nick's, but there was the Bluebird. I really loved the Bluebird there because they had live music. And I remember this one band with two girls and I loved watching them sing. <laughs> They're probably famous right now. They probably are. <laughs> Were you in a fraternity? I was in a fraternity. The Greek system's huge in the Midwest. Um, and I was in a fraternity called Acacia. We were on 3rd Street. It was a great location right next to campus. It wasn't all the way out on North Jordan. Uh, so that was a huge benefit of being at that fraternity. The campus is huge. And so getting from one end to the other is challenging. But when, you, when you're, uh, there's sororities and fraternities on 3rd Street and a couple others right in the center of campus, and it just made life so much easier. I never took a bus. I never had to take a bus. What advice would you give to a high school student or parent that's looking for schools out of state, either it be Indiana or any other school? Because it's hard to go to, if you're not smarty pants and you're not getting into the sweatshirt brands like UCLA, USC, Cal, Stanford, you got to go out of state or Santa, UC Santa Barbara. And, and by the way, San Diego State's hard to get into these days, just like Long Beach State. What advice would you give to that student and parent? Well, where do you see yourself in five years from now? I mean, these days, it's, it's a crazy world out there right now, but I wouldn't be afraid to go anywhere. I mean, colleges have all upped their games in the last 20 years, like you just said, San Diego State is now difficult to get into. It used to be in the top 20 every year for party schools. And Indiana was in the top 10 for business schools for years and years and years, and still maybe, I'm not sure what the ranking is now. 
But where do you see yourself in five years? Are you going to be corporate world? Are you going to be going to graduate school in five years? Like what's really important? Maybe you want to consider going to a junior college and then tr getting a transfer portal. There's a lot of the world's wide open and crazy. And the other thing is, is like learning a trade, going to a trade school is another option. You know, like I think my kids will go to college and I want them to go to college and have that experience. But when they leave there, are they going to use what they learned for their profession you know, like having a trade or going to a trade school, like you'll probably have a job for the rest of your life and you can start a company. I mean, we're at Mesa Verde Country Club right now and it's mind boggling how many plumbers are here because <laughs> they own, they, they're good at their trade and they started a plumbing company and now they play golf five days a week. What you just stated, my wife and I talk about this all the time about our son. I'm like, go to trade school. It's okay. Right, We want them to go to college, but there's so many people that should go to a trade school because that's a, a lost art. Go work for a plumber, go work for an electrician, and then go start your own plumbing company or own electrician, yeah, electrical for company, sure. right? I Got mean, trade. I love to work with my hands. I love to work with my hands. I love to do woodworking. I can do basic plumbing and electrical stuff, but I also am an entrepreneur. So if I would have learned a trade, you know, 20 years ago, I'd be one of these guys owning a plumbing company right now. Absolutely. Cabinetry. Eric Engelbert, Orange County Real Estate, the hiring manager brought to you by Orange County Real Estate. So let's do a live read as we wrap this up. Our corporate sponsor, our private independently sponsored, E himself, why Orange County Real Estate? Oh, well, thank you for this opportunity. So I know in Orange County, there's a million realtors and you listening, you even at a 20 year old, you probably know two realtors. And if you're a 40 year old, you probably know six realtors. But what sets us apart is we really look at the analytics. We think that's important when you're buying or selling. And why is it important? Because, well, if you're selling in your neighborhood, there's probably one house that never sold or one house that took, you know, a hundred days to sell, sell. And there's another one that sold in five days. Well, Let's look at both of those and figure out why one was presented so well that it sold in five days and how can we make yours present that same way. Data science, you said that like an elevator speech, what we're trying to teach these guests and candidates that are listening of like, how do you interview, right? Have a 30 second elevator pitch. Well, that was E's 30 second elevator pitch on why Orange County Real Estate. It's been great having you on this podcast. Hey, thank you very much for the opportunity, Fonger. It's been fun. Fonger News, out.